Hey friends, welcome to the Jesus is All We Need podcast. I'll be your host today, Jason Sotel. Today we have an amazing guest. He is Daniel Fusco, author, church planter, the lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. He hosts the Jesus is Real radio show, the TV show Real with Daniel Fusco, which can be found on the Hillsong channel. Daniel's written articles for CBN, Preaching Today, Relevant, USA Today, and is a regular contributor to Roma Downey's Light Works. But most importantly, Daniel is married to his bride, Lynn, who is way too good for him, by the way. He's an awesome dad to their three children. Daniel, welcome to the show, man. It's such a blessing to have you here, bro. Jason, it's always good to be with you, to be with the Jesus is All We Need community. And you are so right that Man, my wife is way too good for me. <laughs> Dale, so in your bio, I see the word real written quite a few times. So check it out, bro. We're fixing to get real here today. Christians like to use terms like reach out, connect. We're going to unpack the message. Well, as you know, I spent 22 years in a firehouse as I was prepping for ministry. So if you reach your arm out in the firehouse, there's a good chance you might pull back a stump. We didn't connect. We hung out around the dinner table and tried to solve the world's problems while obviously creating some new ones too. And we didn't unpack messages. We dissected one another. So bro, today I'm going to dissect you and hopefully at the end, we can put you back together so you can go about your day and uh, continue on with your ministry, dude. <laughs> Sounds good. I hope you have a whole lot of uh, personal protective equipment. To, if you're doing this dissection, it's a little crazy up in this piece. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Well, first off, I want to kind of highlight what you have been up to lately, which is writing your book, Crazy Happy, Nine Surprising Ways to Live the Truly Beautiful Life. Can you give us a little background on the book and why you wrote it? Well, so I wrote the book simply because it's what everybody wants, right? Like everybody wants to be happy. And I never make fun of people for that. I know sometimes pastors will be like, oh man, we shouldn't want to be happy as if people should want to be unhappy. You know, so it's like everyone's looking for happiness. But I like, I think everybody else, we've all experienced uh, searching after happiness and not really finding it in, in the places we're looking for it, whether it's right. in a relationship or in a promotion. And so we really, what I realized is that, uh, most of us are looking for happiness and happenings, you know, uh, circumstances need to change and then I'll be happy. Uh, and I really personally, as a pastor, as someone who follows Jesus and also just as a, as a human citizen of this world, you know, I had seen myself doing that. Everyone I knew was doing that hamster wheel of happiness seeking. And I started thinking to myself, I wonder what Jesus says about happiness. Happiness, you know, and sure enough, I realized that in Jesus's most famous sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, maybe the most famous section of that sermon, the Beatitudes, the beginning of Matthew chapter five, Jesus gives us these nine Beatitudes, the blessed person. And that word in the Greek is actually can be translated, oh, how happy is the person. And so Jesus already has explained what happiness is. And I call the book Crazy Happy because uh, God's plan for our happiness is found in unexpected or surprising or crazy places. Right. And so, uh, and, and I've really been really encouraged to see the, the responses of people to, uh, how biblical happiness is and how different it is from the kind of superficial, superficial views of happiness that we're so used to hearing about on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, in the world in which we live. Right. And that's, that's just what I love about how you brought you into it, but it's the you God made you to be by using your personality, your fun, your amazing uh, scriptural knowledge that you've been blessed with, man. And, and I love how you bring that into the book. 
but you bring it to us in a way we can all understand. I know I've said this for to you before, and people laugh sometimes, but it's like having my own little Daniel Fusco with me right there when I'm like, oh man, dude, I'm kind of, I need a sermon right now. I can flip to any page in that book and I'm getting a Daniel, a Pastor Daniel message, a sermon. And it's such a blessing, man. So I so appreciate the way that you wrote it, that anyone can open it up and get something out of it. Whether, you know, you're a scholar, a theologian, or you're a stay at home mom, or, you know, like my crowd of guys that I hang out with, a pack of firemen, they absolutely adored it because you're speaking to us as opposed to like, quote, preaching this message over and over again. And I just really appreciate that, buddy, that you brought it that way. Oh, man, thanks so much. And that was really the goal. Like I always, when I'm writing, I always want to write as if we're having a cup of coffee or tea or water, depending on what your drink preferences are, you right. know, and uh, and we're just talking about things. And so I, I don't want to write it like uh, you know, like an ivory tower theologian. And, and I want it to be street level where the rubber meets the road, uh, which is real life for people. And, and, and to be honest, Jason, uh, you know, your book, The Rescuer, I read it and I had just met you. Uh, right. But as I read it, and then as we've gotten to know one another, you know, I really appreciated that about The Rescuer. Cause like, you know, for people who know you, you're like, oh, yeah, this is Jason. You know, and, <laughs> when I was reading The Rescuer, I'm like, man, this is Jason. Like, this is so fun. Yeah, it's so good. You know, and honestly, it's writing from a vulnerable place because even when we're sharing our humor in ministry, sometimes that's kind of vulnerable to do because there's a certain crowd that may be like, no, you can't be funny. You got to be straight laced. Well, then when you share your personal struggles and your stories and your pain, that's being vulnerable too. So I just like I said, man, I really appreciate the transparent, vulnerable way that you write and that you live out your ministry and a life as a whole, man. It's such a blessing to so many of us. So thank you for that. But where I'm going to transition into now is kind of how we became friends, how we know each other. We have a common friend who is a writer. And I remember one day I was telling like, dude, I'm kind of having a few struggles with being in this new ministry that God has me in. And, you know, I, I love all the pastors that I'm surrounded with, but is there someone maybe I could connect with that you think would help me along a little and be able to speak in because they've gone before me? And my buddy says, wow. I've actually got someone in mind. And the reason he's in mind is because he talks more than you, Jason. <laughs> and that was about, wow, gosh, I think about a year and a half, two years ago, Daniel. And since then, it's just been a blessing to get to know you and uh, uh, become, you know, just de deeper, getting to know more about you and being a brother in Christ with you. Dude. It's been such a blessing. So where I'm going with that in Crazy Happy, Nine Surprising Ways to Live the Truly Beautiful Life, you start off with this, and it's not starting off, but here's something amazing there. Here's the truth. Whether we hunt for happiness in parties, bars, the workplace hustle, or even in church pews, we'll wind up shortchanged. Why? Because we don't see our lives as beautiful. What do you mean by that, bro? Well, what I'm trying to get at in that, in that part of the book is that everyone is hunting after a life of fulfillment. I always think of good old Mick Jagger, you know, that great English theologian, the front man for the, the Rolling Stones, you know, where, where <laughs> yeah. he's like, I can't get no satisfaction. Right. I try and I try, but I, I can't get any, you know? And, and I think that's, a, that's, he's, the reason that song was so popular, not only does it have a great riff to it and, and it's the Stones. And if you like the Stones, then you, you dig the sound, but like, 
but he, he's pressing on a lever that we all have. And so one of the things that I have found is that, you know, when you ask people about their life, we all have a tendency to take our life and deduce it down to a few sentences. Like if say like, Hey, Jason, explain to me what it was like to be a fireman in Oakland. Mm-hmm. You, you, you could take a decade of work and bring it down into like four sentences, right? you know? Uh, but in those four sentences, I'm not just you, all of us, if you say, hey, Daniel, explain to me what college was like for you. I'll break it down into a small paragraph. Uh, but oftentimes, very quickly, we we reveal the fact that we thought it was going to be one thing and it, and it ended up being something else. And and ultimately, what we're saying is it's not fulfilling. It's right. not beautiful. You know what I mean? Uh, and and the, th- the reason that it's not beautiful is because ultimately, it wasn't fulfilling. And so, so, you know, I always believe that these type of understandings, these, these, the, the awareness that the spirit of God gives us, it's actually an invitation from Jesus into a deeper place. You know, like everything that we long for is really an echo of a greater need that we have that can only be fulfilled in Jesus. And so, you know, and really the only way that we'll live a truly beautiful life is to live our life in Jesus and seeing our lives through the lens of the spirit of God who is helping us to see God's greater plan in the issues that we find ourselves in on a daily basis. So basically what you're saying is Jesus is all we need, right? So. <laughs> well, I mean, you said it, bro. I'm just quoting you without using the line. You know? No, I mean, that makes no sense. Well, staying down in that line of finding happiness and, and why sometimes we feel unfulfilled, Let's talk about maybe your past, if you wouldn't mind, about prior to ministry and Daniel growing up and during your formative years and stuff and why you feel so passionate from a, um, let's say, a testimony standpoint backed up by scripture. What what was your childhood and your teen years and your growing years like? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I had a, an amazing upbringing. So I'm all Italian from New Jersey. So, you know, like I always like to say, like, whatever your preconceived ideas about all Italian people from New York are, that's my family. We just, <laughs> we were in New Jersey because I have an older sister and then I have a twin sister. When my parents found out they're having twins, they couldn't afford to buy a house in Brooklyn, which is where they were living. And so they moved out to the boondocks of New Jersey. Now, New Jersey's not the boondocks, but back then it was. Right. And so, so like I grew up in this really loud, suffocating, noisy family, tons of aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody kissed you. They, they, they mugged you up all the time. Right. You know, we had all these people who are aunts and uncles. I only found out later they actually weren't related to us, but all the <laughs> aunts and uncles, you know? And so, uh, so I grew up with just, I was surrounded by so much love, but we never, my family was a, were culturally Catholic. So, so mm-hmm. like, you know, there was like, when I remember when, when I made my, my confirmation, you know, I got a, a gold chain, very Italian, you know, mm-hmm. very Jersey Shore with, with, with a big cross and an Italian horn. You know what right. I mean? But we never talked about Jesus at all. And and so it's like we never – there was never discussions about Jesus. We never prayed together. It was never like my amazingly loving parents were like, hey, listen, let's talk about what a godly man is like and what God's will is for your life. It was pretty much like, hey, just don't end up in jail. If you end up in jail, <laughs> we might leave you in there. You know, it was like and, – and, and, and so we, I was super loved. But by the time I hit my early teenage years, I was just all in it for the experience. Like I was just like – if it was – fun, I did it. Right. You know, I was a self-proclaimed hedonist by the time I was probably 15. Mm-hmm. So if it was fun, I'd do it. If, if, if there was adrenaline involved, I'd do it. You know, uh, and very quickly what I realized by the time I made it into college after, you know, uh, you know, five years of living this way, I was having all the fun that you were supposed to have, but I wasn't having any fun anymore. 
Right. Like it, just, I was, it was just not fulfilling. Yeah, it goes away. I totally hear you on that, how it goes away, man. That, you know, everything this world says is going to fill you up, it never does. So carry on, man. I was just giving an affirmation that, that it's an amen to that. Yeah, statement. I mean, and the Bible, I didn't realize, I wasn't, I didn't know the Bible, but, you know, the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a moment, you know, and what, what that, the idea is not that it's really good for you, but like you enjoy it in the beginning, but it ultimately leaves you empty. And I was totally, by the time I was in the middle of college, I was like, I need to stop doing drugs. I need to stop dating girl. Like not, not because I, you know, I just like, none of this is ha- making me happy. Right. You know, and at the same time, my beloved mom had cancer and uh, was really, you know, struggling. She, ultimately, she ended up, uh, you know, going home to be with the Lord uh, before my final year of college. Mm-hmm. And then I was confronted with like, so I'm unfulfilled in all the parties and in all the girls and in all the stuff, you know, and even in achievement in school. And now I'm grappling with questions of eternity, right. uh, which as a 20 year old kid, I just didn't have a framework for that. And so uh, all of these things together. Uh, Jesus invaded my life in a really powerful, powerful way in my last year of college and really sent me on a journey to say, you know, like if you only have, you know, if you only get to live once on this side of eternity, you want to make sure you learn the right things. And what I learned was that, you know, happiness was impossible to find. And ultimately, you know, uh, God brought me, he entered my life and I'm in Christ. And even as a Christian, as a pastor, I still struggled to find real, you know, fulfillment in Jesus for mm-hmm. a while. And so even as a, it wasn't like, man, I, you know, I was unfulfilled and I got saved. I was super fulfilled. It was like, no, no, I was unfulfilled. I got saved and now I'm saved. And I'm still on that journey trying to find fulfillment in Christ, you know, and what I've learned is that um, really what God wants to do is he wants to redefine the word happiness for us. He wants us to see it differently because like, we have a tendency to not even, we just inherit this word with these meanings from the society in which we live. Right. Ideas like, hey, I got a whole other way for you to look at this. That's so good. And I, I'm in total agreement there too. And what I love about talking with people, because like I said, around the firehouse table, that's how we get to know one another. It's like, we all have a badge on. We all saw what we're doing. We all ran into burning buildings together. We all did what we were called to do to fulfill our job description. But when you actually sit back and learn a person's past and why they maybe became a firefighter, you're like, wow. Well, then when you sit back and also hear their spiritual journey, and I'm not talking that worldly spiritual journey, I'm talking about of, you know, answering the call of coming to Christ, that that nudge that you're getting is so cool to hear it brought in certain ways. But one thing that I've noticed is, and you're the pastor here, and I don't have the verse in front of me, but it's about eternity being placed on man's heart, right? That, that we have eternity placed on our heart. And it's it's like it's calling, it's questioning. And when I was growing up and going through all the struggles that I went through as a young man of my parents divorcing and me growing up in a godless, faithless home under a system of abuse, even then I could feel that there was something else. But I never had anyone come alongside of me and, you know, just throw down the gospel message or or tell me about Jesus. And the the folks that did tell me about Jesus, they were actually telling me that I was going to go to hell <laughs> because of the way that I was living and doing that kind of stuff. And it didn't really draw me to him. Now, I'm not saying everyone was like that. I met some very kind Christians I was growing up, but because I was so full of anger and hurt and hatred and everything, I actually kind of shooed them away and I put them into the same category as all the other Christians who were kind of looking down upon on me for for being that skater and that high school dropout and that troublemaker of a kid. But with your story, what really touches me 
is the way that you talk about college, the way that, that you talk about all of it went away, you know, eternity. You're wondering about eternity. You're on this side of eternity. You obviously heard about Jesus and, and, you know, were part of the faith earlier on, but there was a certain point, obviously, where you probably said, all right, or a, a timeline in your life where you're like, all right, I now need to start following him. Do you remember that or can you kind of hit that? Yeah, I mean, I totally remember it because I remember in college, you know, obviously like, so I'm, I'm, I'm in college and I'm having like the traditional college experience for the unbeliever. You know what I mean? So I, it involves some class and it involves a lot of late nights and a lot of partying and and all that stuff. I used to joke that I was on vibe control for every party. I want right. to make sure people are having the most fun, you know. Uh, but in the midst of all that, like I didn't have a spiritual bone in my body by at this point, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, just it's all about like the temporal. I wouldn't use these words. It was all about the now, the temporal, the the, the natural, you know. And so, and I remember I, I had taken a philosophy class because I had to take some humanities courses to get my degree. And and I remember really kind of thinking the philosophy teacher. I mean, he was the bee's knees because because like he would just kind of walk on in and you know you'd be like, hey, so today we're going to talk about this quote. He write some quote from Foucault <laughs> on the board. He'd be like, so what do you all think? And he would sit down, he would sip his espresso, you know, with his sweater. And I'm like, man, this guy's got the job, man. Like yeah. he just sits back, he puts his feet up on the desk. So I, I got, I really started to enjoy philosophy. So I'm starting to read all these, not the books that he's uh, recommending because he didn't really recommend any, but I'm like, oh man, I'm reading Plato and Aristotle and, you know, Derrida and, you know, all the, 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 the postmodern philosophers. And I'm, and, and I'm realizing that all of these are ending up in metaphysics, which is, you know, the philo- philosophical word for the spiritual, you know? And so I'm like, Hey, I never really thought about the spiritual before. And, and my friends, you know, like who, like in college, people were like starting to do yoga and they're like, man, I'm spiritual. I'm like, I'm anti-spiritual because I was, I'm, I'm a contrarian <laughs> by nature, you know? True. And so, yeah, I so I, I started reading all these uh, books on metaphysics and I'm like, well, this is really fascinating. And then I'm like, well, I should probably read like the, the religious books too. You know, so I'm like, obviously, you know, uh, I will grab, you know, the, the teachings of Buddha and the Bhagavad Gita and a bunch of the, you know, the kind of the, you know, I was reading about people who were taking hallucinogens and going on vision quests and, you know, all these different things. And then I remember I had two friends who had started following Jesus and were starting to talk to me about the teachings of Jesus. But as like someone who grew up in a cultural Catholic family, I was kind of like, yeah, yeah. You know, the skinny guy on the cross is not really mm-hmm. my, 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 my gig. You know, mm-hmm. that was my approach, but I had a developmental psychology professor. He was, a, he was a student professor. Like he was getting his PhD, but he had to t- teach him classes to be able to go. And I remember I went to his office hours because I, I was really good at sleeping through exams and then kind of schmoozing my way <laughs> to get, um, to get, to get, to get to retake them. So I didn't fail. And I went to this guy's office hours to take the test. He's like, can I ask you a couple questions? And he was the very first professor I had who ever asked me any questions about myself. And he was just like, so so here's what I get from you. Like, so you don't, you come to class, but you look like you're pretty smashed when you get there. And, you know, you look like you're really not paying attention, but then, you know, if you have a paper due, you you turn it in on time and they're pretty good. And you you slept through the exam, but I know that you're going to take it. You're going to get an ace. Like, what's your story? And I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm a musician. I do this, I do that. And he's like, like, well, what do you do for fun? I'm like, well, lately I've been doing a lot of reading. What are you reading? I'm like, well, I've been reading the Bhagavad Gita and the, you know, the Tao Te Ching and I've been reading the writing to teach the Buddha and, you know, and I've been hanging out with these Hare Krishnas because they give you free vegetarian meals and free food (laughs) and a college student that gets it done. And he's like, well, can I ask you a question? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, do do you believe Jesus was a spiritual teacher? Hmm. I'm like, yeah, you know, some people think he is. And he's like, do you think the Bible was a spiritual book? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think it is. 
You know, some people do. He's like, well, sounds like you're reading everything else. So if you're really open, you probably should read the Bible if you want to be intellectually honest. Just like wow. threw the gauntlet down, you wow. know, at, at a liberal arts college, you wow. know, just like, and, uh, and I'm like, I probably should read that. You know, and so sure enough, you know, um, I grabbed my mom's, my mom had this red Gideon's Bible she took home from the hospital. And at this point, my mother had passed away, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I asked my dad, hey, can I get that red Bible of my mom's? I just wanted it. You know, and I started, you know, started to read it in the New Testament. And in the midst of that journey, Jesus met me personally. Somewhere in Matthew's gospel, like in my apartment, not through a church, not because like my friends who were starting to walk with, they weren't like solid at that point. They were still trying to work all the stuff out. But uh, Jesus just met me in a very real, very personal, very powerful way. And that is where my journey began. I mean, it began before that, but that's when I became aware of, that's why, you know, Jesus is real. I always say that. Like he's at street level. Like Jesus was not uh, afraid to invade the world of a 21 year old drug addicted, you -hmm. know, uh, musician who was right. totally lost, right. who was screwing everything up, yeah. you know, even though I was doing good in college. And, and I love that, you know, that's the Jesus who of the Bible. And that's the yes. Jesus who, you know, died on the cross for the sins of the world. And that's the Jesus I'd love to tell people about. Yes. You know, and that, that's what's so beautiful because I'll be honest with you. When I read books, I'm like, apologetics. Okay. Let me take a look at that. Well, I start getting lost in it. Then I go, okay, let's over here in theology. Ooh, I'm starting to get lost. And it's all so important. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say to not read, to not study, to not go to the great scholars and theologians of our time that they can break this all down for you. But that is why I love storytelling, true storytelling and testimony backed up by all the scripture and everything that, that we read, that we read about Jesus. And, and, you know, I, as you know, God's infallible word, I, I lean so heavy on, you know, classic, he said it, we got to go with it. But what I love about testimony is it brings, like you said, that street level Jesus. And for me as a fireman, it's the same thing because everything that I would look at in the world and would use my worldly Jason, and I say this so safely, but as an atheist or a guy who had no faith or religion as a younger guy, I was God. I truly was, right? Because I was the maker of my own destiny. How often do we hear that? You can be whatever you want to be. Well, Daniel, if that was the truth, daddy would be in the NBA right now. And I would have an $87 million guaranteed contract, okay? That's not going to happen. Have I sinfully prayed for stuff like that? Oh, by all means. But God's answer up to this point has been no. But what I do love about being able to follow Christ is I can put all that religion aside and follow the one who reached into the pit of hell that I was living in, snatch me out of it and say, are you done with chasing, going on dates and, and chasing fun and buying cars, boats, trips and all that? Because I see you going on those trips, but I still see you as a miserable person, but happiness, comfort, clarity, and by all means, eternity can only be found through our faith in Christ Jesus. And I just love that because back to the apologetics and the theology thing, which I feel is so important to try to defend our faith. 
I, I never defend my faith. I just tell people how freaking awesome Jesus is by how horrible my life was before I came to him. And that's what I love about Crazy Happy because you remind us so much about what Jesus wants for us as opposed to what we want for ourselves. Because when we start chasing our wants, bro, it goes down the wrong path, even as a Christian, a follower of Christ, man. So let's now kind of move forward into your book a little more and start talking about the different ways we can find true happiness, or as you love to say, crazy happiness, dude. Well, so in the book, you know, the nine surprising ways to live the truly beautiful life, there's nine beatitudes, the blessed are the person who, and Jesus gives us these nine different ones. And then there's also nine fruit of the spirit, right? Mm -hmm. So in Galatians chapter five, the apostle Paul, there's only one fruit, but it's got these nine characteristics, you know, love and joy and peace and a long suffering and and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Paul says against such, there is no law, Mm -hmm. you know, and I took each, you know, uh, the first beatitude and I put it with the first characteristic of the fruit of the spirit because i believe god's word is perfect i didn't want to like mix the mix the order up to make it make more sense i'm like man god's perfect on the order and really what we found is that when you look at each beatitude the oh how happy is the person who you find all these crazy things like oh how happy are the poor in spirit like no one ever says like in every self-help book no one says you know if you want to talk about happiness you first got to talk about humility like humility is the doorway through which happiness happens. It's like, yes. so, so like that's crazy or, Oh, how happy blessed are those who mourn. So no one ever says, Hey, that the happy person is also sad. Right. You know? And so you have those. And then, but when you link, link them up with the fruit of the spirit, what you begin to realize, it really creates like a, a beautiful mosaic of, of uh, ways to look at the world. And so I, I call it crazy happy because like in all of these things, like almost nobody talks about this stuff, but Jesus 2000 years ago, I mean, no matter where someone is on their faith journey, everybody knows that Jesus was a, a famous teacher at the very least. Mm-hmm. You know, even if people don't believe that Jesus is the son of God, I believe that. I think everyone should. If, even right. if people don't believe like, hey, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He rose again. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, I can't come to the father except by Jesus. I believe that because Jesus said that stuff. And I, and I, and I, take my life on that. Right. But even if someone doesn't believe that, everyone knows that Jesus is is, is one of the greatest teachers ever. ever. Mm-hmm. Like the golden rule, Jesus said that. Like, right. like, right. like people know this stuff. And so, you know, but people that haven't really spent any time grappling with, Jesus already explained to us what the happy person is like, and we need to learn from him. Yes. So, you know, I was surprised as a pastor, having taught the Beatitudes many times, mm-hmm. when I really dug into it, I'm like, Oh, this is completely changing the way I look at happiness and I need this. Right. You know, and and that's what I love about the view and how that you bring it into play. Because as you were mentioning, you know, I'm very transparent with my life, as you know, and stuff. And my mom, she's not a believer. You know, she in that Jesus is the son of God, that he was fully God, fully man. All the stuff that we learn as the basics as we're going through the gospel. But she does believe, oh, he was a good man. You know, and, and I get that. But what I love about the way that you bring it into light is no matter what, you won't back from the truth. So I know we're on a podcast here and people can't see you, but you got dreadlocks. Let's, I must be so disrespectful right here, but bro, you don't look like the average pastor, if you will, that I go online and see. Okay. You look like someone I'm going to be paddling out with to go surfing. All right. And, and to think that you're a pastor, come on now. But I love how you never step away from the truth. With that being said, 
I know in your position, especially that you speak to people worldwide, not just locally and, and you know, your local church and, and the, the people you shepherd and the people you pastor over how you take care of them. But how do you deal with the naysayers when they come in, bro? Because I'm new to your world of being in ministry and the naysayers when they come in, I sometimes just want to rip my hair out, scream and yell, slam the door. But as you know, I have a beautiful praying wife who <laughs> also knows how to kick me under the table and get me back in line. But how do you deal with that, bro, with with uh, the, the naysayers and all the negativity that comes your way? Well, so, you know, to, to talk about the Beatitudes, like the, la- the eighth and the ninth Beatitude is, you know, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, blessed are you when they curse you and revile you and persecute you, say all sorts of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. Now here's the deal. I like to tell people that if you follow Jesus on this crazy happy journey, right? Like not everyone's going to like you. You know, and not, and, and Jesus said, look, like if they hate you, don't forget they hated me first. And, and so like, like we have this tendency to think I'll be happy if everyone likes me. And Jesus is like, actually I'm the God in flesh and they killed me, you know? And so, so what I'm aware of is I'm aware that no matter what I do, um, there's always going to be people who are detractors who don't like you. Now I, like you mentioned, you know, my appearance and it's true. Like, you know, I meet people all the time, like, Hey, so like, what do you do? Are you like a musician? I'm like, well, I am a musician, but I'm a pastor. And like, you're a pastor. And I'm like, yeah, like you don't look like a pastor. I'm like, what's a pastor supposed to look like? They're like, well, I don't know, but not like you. And I always joke because I'm like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people have a pastor who looks like your traditional pastor, but there's a lot of people who would like a pastor but I'm the kind of person that they would look for, you know? And right. so like, so I realize that I don't look like what everyone thinks maybe I should look like, but in the end of the day, you know, a good pastor is someone who takes the word of God and explains it yes. and it, and encourages you to respond to it and live after it. And so when, when, when naysayers come, my first question is always to myself is, is there issue critique? Is it, am I doing something wrong? You know, because I want to be humble enough and teachable enough to to not think, man, I'm always getting everything right. You know, right. That, that presumption gets us in all sorts of trouble. You know, it's kind of like when uh, when Nathan the prophet came to King David and told him the you know the the parable about the the lamb who got stolen, and obviously mm-hmm. David's like, man, we got to send that guy to jail and we're going to kill him. And Nathan's like, hey, David, you're the man, because he wasn't talking about a lamb; he was talking about Bathsheba and Uriah and all this garbage that was going on. Right. So I never want to be presumptuous to think that I actually have it all together. And sometimes when the negative people, the naysayers, there's some things we can learn from that because the only person I know who's perfect is Jesus. And that's why I believe in him, you know, and I realize that I'm in process at best and I'm a knucklehead left up to my own devices. So the first thing I do is say, I need to ask myself and be humble enough to say, um, what, you know, where am I falling short here? And I always find something to learn from, but then I also just realize that my job is not to respond to negativity with negativity. My job is to seek to just to take that high road and, and to bless those who curse me, you know, to pray for them, you know, and I realize sometimes people's reasons for not liking me is purely superficial. And even though God says, you know, uh, you look at, you know, 
don't make the mistake of looking at the outer a- expression, but look, I look at the heart. Yes. People do that all the time. And it, you know, I, because I pastor a church that's really large, you know, people, you know, sometimes Christians be like, oh man, all large churches are, you know, they're just not teaching the Bible. And then they get blown <laughs> away. They come to, you know, they come to crossroads and I'm like teaching through the book of Romans verse by verse, right. like, like not playing around with, with the scriptures. So sometimes people, you know, but, but what I also realize is that everyone's on a journey and, and it's okay that people, you know, conflict is, I always say conflict is inevitable, but drama is a choice. That's and so, so um, I, I'm just kind of committed to, I just don't want to like, there's enough drama in the world. And, and in our family, you know, uh, we always, we used to say, save the drama for your mama, but mm-hmm. my, my bride, Lynn did not like that. And so then we would say, save the drama for your llama. But there we don't have a llama. So so we call it the drama llama ding dong. We don't have a llama. So but like I just don't want to add any more drama. And and some people just they thrive on conflict and issues. And you know, for me, I just don't like all of my responses need to be lined up with the fruit of the spirit. Right. You know, and and you know, self-control is a is a is a characteristic, kindness is a is a characteristic, long suffering or patience, peace is is a characteristic, love, which is a self-sacrificial love. And so I always want to try and respond in the spirit as uh as an ambassador for Christ, not just as like a person who's kind of frustrated because they don't like me and everyone should like me because I'm so wonderful. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's not overly sinful, but we want people to like us. But if you think about it, falling back on our flesh, it can be kind of sinful because we want to be popular. We want people to like what we have to say. We want that message to touch people and we want it to hit off. But one of the ways I look at it, Daniel, is a wise old captain in the firehouse once told me, he said, your job is to just show up and respond without judging and do what you've been called to do. And as a fireman, that would be show up and kick open a front door, push through a thousand degree heat, go down a hallway as carpet's melting to your knees and trying to find that pocket of air where maybe someone's surviving while battling the fire, knowing that the outcome isn't on me. The outcome is on God. His plan is already there. But he also said that doesn't give you the ability or that doesn't give you the the license to sit back and not do your job either. And it kind of clicked for me. It was like, okay, so I have to respond. I have to react. I have to use all the God-given gifts and abilities that he's given me and push as hard as I can. But it's okay to rest easy knowing that he has the outcome. So when someone doesn't like me, And I feel with all my heart, and I even come to you and say, hey, Daniel, I wrote this message. I'm really taking a beating over it. And if you confirm, hey, you're okay here, well, then I always say that's kind of between them and God, not them and me. Now, if I write something where I'm kind of angry and maybe I want to direct it somewhere, and oh, it can be scripturally sound, but I'm also scripturally blasting someone. And someone looks at me and says, you're wrong. You're right. That's when you got to self-reflect. And make the changes because you are being wrong. And that's what I love about scripture personally for me is how much clarity it brings to me. You know, like reading through your book, looking through crazy, happy, nine surprising ways to live truly beautiful life. Now, I've actually been challenged by quite a few parts of your book, you know, because God's telling me that I need to find comfort and happiness in mourning Okay, let's let's hit that, man. And it it's tough because especially with this year that we've had and all the stuff that everyone's going through, there's a lot of mourning out there, just not on the level of losing a loved one. There's broken relationships, there's jobs lost, there's businesses that have been shuttered, man. It's been so tough. And to be challenged by finding happiness within that, 
it's actually been beautiful because it makes me search the scriptures that much more. So I, I, I do appreciate how you did make your book look very loving, crazy, happy Daniel, who's one of the happiest people I know. But you also challenged us in that. So uh, can, can you kind of hit that about the morning stuff with me when we're going through that? Yeah, I mean, most people would say that happiness is the absence of sadness. And, and no one would say, oh, man, when I'm grieving, then I'm happy. But Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Oh, how happy are those who mourn. And you have that amazing picture in John chapter 11 of Jesus. The shortest verse in the Bible is in John 11, where it says Jesus wept. And he wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who had died. And the people were there grieving his loss. Now, if you read the whole story in John 11, they summoned Jesus and he waited to go intentionally, knowing that he was going to die. Because he knew he was going to raise him from the dead, you know. So like Lazarus literally comes out of the tomb in his grave clothes, you know. And so, so, but when Jesus gets there and he sees all of the sadness and brokenness, and God never created us for death; He created us for life. Jesus is moved to weep, and and you know, really, they say, "Oh, how He loved Him." So like I always tell people that a life that has no mourning or grieving in it is a life that has no love in it. And a life with no love is not a happy life because, you know, we're supposed to abide faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. So, so you realize that the only way you can live a life without any grieving is to not love, which will never be a happy life. Right. So because we love, we grieve. And, 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 you, and you see that really what Jesus is inviting us into is that Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't teach that happiness is the absence of sadness. He teaches that happiness incorporates sadness. That's so good. But also sees that God leverages brokenness to bring redemption. That's why, oh, how happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So really what you find is you find God's comfort in the midst of the grieving and the brokenness and the sadness. And then if you fast forward in your Bible to second Corinthians chapter one, the apostle Paul says that we're, you know, he says that, uh, that we comfort others with the comfort that we've received. And so God, we, we go through these seasons where there is sadness and then God by his spirit brings comfort and the spirit is called by Jesus, the comforter, you know, and then as we're comforted, then God puts in our lives, people who are going through similar things and because we've been going through, because we, he's walked us through these things, that now we can join people on that journey of redemption. You can say, look, I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I've gone through similar things. Like, like what, what you do, Jason, with other firefighters. Because mm-hmm. of you know, your journey, you can come alongside them in a way that I can't because I've never, you know, if there's a burning building, I go out and I call 911. I hope a hero like you shows up, you know? And, and so, you know, then you get to comfort others with the comfort you've received. And then Jesus said that you're more blessed to give than receive. You're happier when you give than when you get. And all of a sudden, when you comfort somebody with the comfort God has given you, then you're, you get happy because you're helping someone and all of that happiness is still related to the very thing that broke your heart and made you weep. And so it, it, it shows God's plan for redemption in the midst of how he leverages the, the grieving and mourning times of our lives. Right. That's so good. And, and to kind of fall back and not to be all cliche, but about, you know, the, the praying. I'm such a believer in all parts of prayer that, you know, if we, we don't ask, we, we're not going to receive. But a lot of times the answer is not going to be what we want. And one of the ways I explain this, though, I sometimes believe a lot of people miss the answers to their prayers 
meaning they they sometimes don't look around. They're looking for that almighty miracle, the amazing biblical miracle that 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 happened. They're looking around as opposed to finding the little miracles. And one of the examples I use is, is cliche, but I go a little deeper with it, is when a house is on fire, I guarantee you in the three to four minutes it takes us to respond there, people are praying. There are people praying. Because one thing I've never heard in my 22 years of fighting firefighter was, oh, thank goodness you guys got here so quickly. <laughs> it could be 30 seconds out, but when your world's burning down or heavens forbid a child's hurt or a loved one is is suffering, you know, seconds feel like minutes or hours, you know, so it's long time we're in there. And I know for a fact that the people would be praying and maybe the prayer was, God, please put my house out. Well, the heavens didn't open up and rain didn't dump on it. but a pack of highly trained, courageous individuals showed up to put it out. There is your blessing because imagine if people didn't follow their callings, they didn't follow what God's called them to do, and no one was to show up. The answer is sometimes the prayers may not be there. So I'm not saying taking a one-sided view that man is the answer to every prayer. But I look at the Bible as a whole because, as you know, from Genesis all the way to Indesis, what's that last chapter? I'm just joking. Revelation. Revelation. <laughs> yeah, okay, sure. but all <laughs> the way from, I like that. Yeah, Genesis to Indesis. I get beat up in a lot of cultures uh, for using that term, but yes, I know the Revelation. I actually even, <laughs> I even know the final verse of the Bible. Okay, but when when I read it, it's so balanced, bro. It talks about the body of Christ being blessings. It talks about your pastors, your shepherds, your elders, your wives, your children. Right. And, and, and when you pray, I also tell people sometimes to open up their eyes when they're done and look around. And, and maybe those prayers have already been answered, meaning that, well, I'm not going to fix this over here for you right now because I want you to walk through this and learn through this like I did as a fireman responding to thousands of people taking their final breaths as their eternities were being locked in. I lived through that. And at the time, I didn't understand why. Now I know why, because eternities are at stake, and it's given me a huge, huge conviction to go preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone who will and will not listen, to be honest with you. you know. But when I'm feeling down and I'm feeling torn up, and I sit back and I look around, I'm like, look at what he's blessed me. Look at the prayers He's already answered for me, dude. And it's just such such a blessing, you know, so I appreciate you hitting that. So as we start to finish up here, I got one last question to hit you because it's kind of something personal when I was writing my book. Do you find whenever you've been called to do something, maybe above and beyond like writing a book or doing some other project that you felt that God's called you Bro, do you ever feel the attacks kind of come from the opposite side trying to keep you from doing it? Did you experience anything like that as you're writing this book? Oh, always. So, I mean, I think everything in God's kingdom involves some risk. And there's a risk to doing it, and then there's a risk to not doing it. And and I think that, you know, any any endeavor that is worth anything for eternity is going to have significant pushback significant uh, issues that come along with it. I've just been reading the book of Nehemiah lately. And, you know, you, you just see like Nehemiah is like, you know, his, what he's trying to do is he's trying to, to, to make sure the children of Israel are safe, you know? And it's like the amount of issues he had, he had issues from without with these Tobiah and Sanballat and these guys, and then he's all these issues from within all the interpersonal conflict within the, the children of Israel and the, and the people, the residents of Jerusalem. And so, yeah, so like, you know, whether it comes to writing a book, any endeavor that I've ever undertaken that has uh, eternity on the line, I always say when eternity is on the line, there's the conflict's going to be fierce. 
And so, but, but I always get nervous when there isn't any, you know, any pushback, any issues, if there isn't any warfare, then I'm always like, am I, am I off the path? Like, am I doing right. something wrong? Cause this is coming too easy right now. No, I hear you on that. That's, that's so good, man. And you know, for our listeners out there, that's just something I want to encourage you guys, because if you were to see the video and what I'm looking at, just how Daniel's always smiling and how he's always just so out there and, and you're so much fun, man. I so appreciate it. But what I want to encourage all the listeners to do is, you know, just keep pushing like Daniel was mentioning, because there is going to be pushback, but I never want to put pressure on people either, because I don't want folks to feel like I'm telling them to be this big, strong fireman and kick every door keep pushing, pushing. It's okay to fall back in God's strength because his strength is found in his love and in our weakness, you know? So it's just wanted to throw that out there. So Daniel, it was so cool to have you on the Jesus is all we need podcast. This is such a cool adventure. You've been part of it. You've been a huge part of it and stuff. And I so appreciate you, but I want you to tell us the listeners where we can get crazy happy nine surprising ways to live the truly beautiful life and where they can get more of you, Daniel, in in your messages. Well, so if you want to pick up the book, you can pick it up wherever you like to buy books, uh, Amazon and everywhere else. Uh, you know, there's the hard, there's the regular book, there's the ebook, there's the audio book where I actually read the book. If, if you like the audio book, uh, format. And if you want to find me, obviously, if you just put my name, Daniel Fusco, in any of in your you know browser, search engine, uh, social media. And of course, I get the pastor uh, Crossroads Community Church, amazing church just north of Portland, Oregon, in Vancouver, Washington. And uh, lots of people enjoy all this different stuff. We have two-minute messages on Facebook and YouTube, the Crossroads services, all the stuff that we're doing all over the place and crazy happy. So good, Daniel. Well, thanks, buddy. I appreciate you on so many levels. Thank you for coming on the Jesus is All We Need podcast. And we're definitely going to be looking out for some more messages, books, and cool stuff coming out. God bless you, buddy. All right, man. You have a great day. Has fear stolen your peace? I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, helping you fight your fears and grow your faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.